Are you ready, Christine? I'm ready. Are you ready, Ma? I'm ready. Let's go. Let's go to Manhattan. New York City again. We do love New York City. This week... Wait, did we, did we start in Manhattan? No. I don't we think... We started in Russia? <laughs> no, we started in Can- Canada. We start? Canada. Oh, oh, same thing. They're cold. <laughs> and we are off to a great 2021 podcast. Well, most of it happens in Manhattan, and I thought it was happening in Brooklyn. It looked very Brooklynish to me. It did look very Brooklynish to me. It's not Brooklyn. No, it is in, uh, Manhattan. I have the real address. Yeah, I took a picture of it. Oh. Not in person, just the Google Maps. Oh. After what was the real address? Oh, it's fine. We'll get to it. <laughs> That's a couple <laughs> pieces away. I'm going to try this a, a fourth time. We, we're After- acting like we've been on vacation and, and we have it. After a flight back home, Sam Hendricks, kind of nice name, mm-hmm. returns with a doll he innocently acquired along the way. Turns out the doll is stuffed with heroin and a group of criminals followed him to his home to get it. Unfortunately, his blind wife is home. What could go wrong? <laughs> it's blind wife. <laughs> we are doing Wait Until Dark. And the trailer for Wait Until Dark comes up with a, uh, a written statement. During the last eight minutes of this picture, the theater will be darkened to the legal limit to heighten the terror of the breathtaking climax, which takes place in nearly total darkness on the screen. If there are sections where smoking is permitted... (laughs) Those patrons are respectfully requested not to jar the effect by lighting up during this sequence. And of course, no one will be seated at this time. Oh, I forget. We did another movie where they did like a disclaimer like that. I think there's been a couple. Wasn't it Psycho? Yeah. 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 You could be scared. I mean, there used to be so many rules to go to the movies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you could have your cigarettes, though. Yeah, and smoking. Jeez. There used to be little ashtrays in the armrests. I, re- I remember that. <laughs> I don't remember that. I remember the ashtrays in the airplane. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, we are doing the 1967. Seven film, Wait Until Dark. Oh, I remember it from 67. Okay. I think, in, chime in if you believe, agree with me or not. I'm new to speaking today. Um, if you have it, like, this is one of those. Oh, yes. Every good. once in a while, we say, hey, look, trust us. Go watch this movie and then come back and listen to this. Because oh, yeah. 
This is a great film. It's so fun and suspenseful. And okay, maybe you're like, oh, I saw such and such, whatever, Aaron. You you said that about the third man, what? And it was just ho hum. Okay, whatever. All right, so we'll be talking, but then when we get to a certain point, hey, you should turn it off and just go see it. Yes, please, because if you have not seen it, you don't want to spoil the the fun that you're going to have. It's just a great, fun, fun film-going experience. It is. It yeah, is I'm gonna have to. I just after this one, I have to make a. Um, I have to start a list for our 2021 awards because I feel like this will be. Could very well. Be. I mean, so, Teeny texted us. Mention. Teeny texted us what 15 minutes into the film, and she was like, "I really like this." <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. I did. This is my. If we would have done this film last year, it would have been my favorite film. It's pretty of 2020. Cool. Okay. But I missed it. So you've been warned. And we'll try to warn you again. But, you know, we're talking about this movie, so we're going to spoil it. Because I, I ain't listening to podcasts about movies I've seen, and they don't spoil it. So, all right. Okay, Aaron, the particulars. Wait Until Dark, it was released on October 26, 1967. So right in time for Halloween. Oh, that's perfect timing. Mm -hmm. It is produced by Mel Ferrer. Ferrer? Ferrer. Ferrer. He's an actor, director, producer of stage, screen, and television. Nerd alert, he was married to Audrey Hepburn. From 1954 to 1968. Uh-oh. Uh, yeah. More on that later. He, as an actor, he was in The Longest Day, which we did, Scaramucci, War and Peace, and TV's Falcon Crest. Was he in Falcon Crest? Yes. He was in a bunch of other TVs, but Falcon Crest, he was in the most episodes. Like a significant amount of episodes. I was like, oh, my man was in Falcon Crest. Directed by Terrence Young. He's a British director and screenwriter. He directed the Doctor, or the Doctor, the James Bond films, Doctor No from Russia with Love and Thunderball. He also did Black Tights and They Were Not Divided. He, Nerd Alert, was the one that was responsible for and recruited Sean Connery. To play James Bond. Rest oh, in well, peace. well done. Mm -hmm. And he even, rumor has it, had Sean Connery follow him around and taught him, took, took him to his tailor. Showed him how to walk, how to talk, how to dress. Oh, to become James Bond. Right. All right. And here's a nerd alert about him, Terrence Young. And this blew my mind because I'm not a, a big video game player, but I went through a stretch in the 1999 where the first Medal of Honor came out. And that was around the same time HBO's Band of Brothers came out. And that's the one and only game except for Nintendo's Rad, which is a driving game. But that and Medal of Honor are the only two video games I've ever played through the completion completed the game <laughs> i was obsessed with medal of honor and so when i found and read that terrence young was in world war ii he served as a tank operator in the irish guards 
and he was involved in Operation Market Garden, my my head exploded because I was like, I know Operation Market Garden. That was the second level of the first Medal of Honor, the only Medal of Honor game that I know. And I my I was like, oh man, that was some shit. Like that was messed up. And then I find out because Mark Operation Market Garden took place in Ardham, Netherlands. And that is where Audrey Hepburn was around. She was 15 at this time, you know, as the Netherlands is occupied by the Nazis and stuff. And she lived there, almost starved to death. So when people think how like, oh, she's so skinny and everybody wanted to be as skinny as her. Turns out she was that skinny because of malnourishment. Like she had health problems and stuff. She literally almost died. And at 15, in addition to starving, in addition to like having to eat bulbs of tulips to stay alive with her family, she also was a nurse. And at the hospital, a nurse volunteer. And at the hospital, one of the soldiers she was helping was Terrence Young, her the future director. Which is mind blown, but there's other mind blowing things that we'll get to later. But I was just, and and I instantly went back to that, and and I remember the buildings uh, in the video game, how they're all like, because you're going around all the the these are places where people lived, and it's all hollowed out, bombed out, and you're like, where is everybody? And there turns out they're starving, and I don't know. It, it was just really weird. If and if it was that bad in a video game. And you know that that shit was horrible. Yes. Yes. Okay. The screenplay is by Robert Carrington, who also wrote Blind Witness, Fear is the Key, and Kaleidoscope, and Jane Howard Carrington, who also wrote Kaleidoscope, Summer of My German Soldier, and and Long Road Home. It's based on the play Wait Until Dark by Frederick Knott, He also wrote, so this guy wrote three plays. One of them was this. The other one was called Write Me a Murder. And the other one was called Dial M for Murder. Yes, the Dial M for Murder that became the Hitchcock film with Grace Kelly. So, I mean, and then after that, he was just like, "Mm, I don't really need to write anything else. I'm just going to live off of this for the rest of my life. The music is by Henry Mancini. The great Uh Henry Mancini, who did Moon River from Breakfast at Tiffany's. The Pink Panther theme. The love theme from Romeo and Juliet. The theme from Peter Gunn. He also did Touch of Evil. So many other things. Nerd alert. Personal nerd alert. As we're (laughs) around the same time that I was obsessed with Operation Market Garden and the first Medal of Honor video game. I also, weirdly enough, had a cassette tape of Henry Mancini's greatest hits that I listened to, like, a lot. Yeah. Yep. Director of photography, Charles Lang. He had 18 Oscar nominations. He won for A Farewell to Arms. He also shot Some Like It Hot, Sabrina, and The Big Heat. Edited by Gene Milford who also cut A Face in the Crowd, On the Waterfront, and Lost Horizon. Starring Audrey Hepburn, 
around this time, she was around 38. Her career is winding down at this point. Like she's already, she's like, she's Audrey Hepburn to audiences know her. She's Susie Hendricks. Great name. Um, Audrey Hepburn has an EGOT. So she has an Emmy, a Grammy, an Oscar and a Tony. I didn't know she was an EGOT. She's an EGOT. She was in Breakfast at Tiffany's, Roman Holiday, Sabrina, and My Fair Lady. She was in all of those movies before this, so she's big time bona fide. Alan Arkin is Rotes. He was in, remember we did The Russians Are Coming, The Russians mm-hmm. Are Coming? And I believe he won a Best Actor Academy Award for that performance, and it was his first movie. So he's already in this movie with Audrey Hepburn, and he has an Oscar. He was also in Catch-22, Glengarry Glenn Ross. Uh, more recently, you may have known know him from Little Miss Sunshine and Argo. And he's he pops up in everywhere, everything. Um, Robert Krina, he was Mike Talman. He was Luke in the Luke McCoy in The Real McCoys from 1957 to 1963. Was that was that a show you watched? Yeah. That was Grandpa McCoy. Whenever I get up and I and I'm acting like an old person cuz I'm not. Uh yeah, I say I'm Grandpa McCoy. He was also in Body Heat, the first 3 Rambo films, um Hot Shots Part D, and he was in an infantryman in the Battle of the Bulge, which also took place in the Netherlands. So, so thank you for your service. He was in tons of TV. Oh, so much TV. We have Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Zimbalist Jr. He was Sam Hendricks. He was in 77 Sunset Strip. Uh, that was a TV show. The TV show, The FBI. He was mm-hmm. also in Hot Shots. And another personal nerd alert. He was the voice of Alfred in the Batman, the animated series, which is now on HBO Max. Oh, I have a nerd alert about Ephraim Zimbalus Jr. Yes, because you knew exactly you how to say him? his name. Almost. Um, well, okay, there's more than six degrees of separation, but, <laughs> well, my sister went to college with someone whose mother dated Ephraim Zimbalus Jr. That's about so the, five. Yeah. And so whenever um, sh- the friend would come up, we would go, oh, her mother dated Ephraim Zimbalus Jr. Because, I mean, you know, you just got to say that name a lot. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. It is. Zimbalist is a pretty good, fun name to say. Zimbalist. Um, Jack Weston played Carlino. Yes. He was in Ishtar, which we've done. We've also done Imitation of Life and the 1968 The Thomas Crown Affair and Dirty Dancing. And tons of TV. Tons of TV as well. Samantha Jones, she was Lisa. She was in Get to Know Your Rabbit, The Way We Live Now, and McMullen and Wife. Mm -hmm. She was a top fashion model during the mid to late 60s. So at this time, she was the it, one of the it models. And Julie Herod, she was Gloria. And she also played Gloria 
in the original Broadway production. And she was also in the TV show, The Doctors and the Nurses. Oh. Huh. And there are the particulars. Well, we start with someone cutting open a stuffed doll, taking some stuffing out, and the old man named Louie is putting bags of heroin in. And there's a very anxious young young woman. I am assuming that is Lisa. They're in France, so she must have gone from France to Canada? No, I believe she's in the uh, French-Canadian part of Canada. excuse me, yet again, another geographical error on my (laughs) part. Um, They should make heroin look like something uh, less... they should make heroin look like something else, Louie. Perhaps a candy bar. That was that was a quote. Yeah. Yeah, maybe not, Lisa. Um, the doll <laughs> yeah. is, is ready to go. It's a musical doll. You can wind it up and it plays music. Yeah, so so that's great. When it, the doll won't shut up and people want to take the music box out of it, it causes them to physically open up the doll and be like, what is this? This... What's all this heroin inside this doll that won't shut up? So the old man watches Lisa get in a taxi, and then he makes a phone call. Now Lisa's at the airport. She's going through customs, holding the doll in her arm. Telling you, that wouldn't work today. Well, I hope not. Probably would have worked to get into the Capitol. But um, she's going through customs. Everything is A-OK. You had to walk on the tarmac to get into your plane in these days. Like Mm -hmm. they didn't have the, the things that go the bridge, that goes to the plane. Yeah, you had to go outside. Yeah. And we see Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. is on the steps in front of her, and he drops something. His medicine, a pill bottle. Oh, I didn't know what it was. And um, she picks it up, and uh, heroin girl picks it up. And gives it to him. I didn't realize her name was Lisa. Well, then they get to JFK Airport. She sees a dude watching, because she's on the tarmac. She looks up. She sees a dude watching her deplane. She runs to Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. Can't say, You can't just say, Ephraim, you got to do the whole thing. Convinces him to take the doll. But all of this is done. You don't hear that conversation. You only see it. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Um. And then the dude comes and drags her out of the airport. Ephraim Zimbalist Jr. sees this, and he's not at all concerned about the doll. Okay. Then we have two dudes, I said in Brooklyn, question mark. No, it's Manhattan. At a brownstone. There are um, kids on the stoop. And the dudes asked the kids a question, like, is this the right street, I think. Mm Mm-hmm. And the kids are being, you know, little smart asses. And um, he's looking for an address. Then they go to a first story apartment in a brownstone. Reminded me of some people. The door is open. So they walk in and they see a note. If you come while I'm gone, make yourselves comfortable. Doors open. Lisa. A typed note from a typewriter, right? Yeah. Oh, I don't remember. 
Yeah, is it? I don't remember either. I thought so, because I thought it was odd that it was a typewriter. So they go into her apartment and they look around, and my goodness, it's a big apartment. It is a beautiful apartment. Yeah, it, yeah. Why did I say haha? One dude <laughs> uh, gets to the refrigerator, takes stuff out, and makes himself a sandwich. Um, a nice plate. It's just, is this the way yeah. that you put cold cuts in the refrigerator in 1967? Well, they might have had a charcuterie board the night before. Oh, true, true. Richard. And if she's, okay, spoiler alert. Okay, if you're blind. Blind and, you know, you want to, you don't want to go through all these different kinds of packaging like you're That's newly true. blind. So why don't you get all of your meats and cheeses on a plate? That That's is true. a very good point. Good that is point. an excellent point. point. Now, I don't remember Richard Krenna's name in this. Mike. Well, we don't, I don't Mike. think we find out his name because Mike is his con man name. Right, right. Um, he's looking around. He sees a wedding photo. And he goes, Lisa doesn't live here. I was very confused by this being Lisa's apartment because I knew from seeing it before that this was Audrey Hepburn's apartment. So I didn't understand all that. Yeah, I didn't know. I didn't understand a lot in the beginning of this, but I, I was hooked. still don't understand how how they found this guy lived here. Yeah, because you don't have the Internet then. You can't Google Dude with the doll. I think, okay, you know, I mean, people. I think what happened is Lisa called him to get the doll. And I think, and he was like, all right, I'm looking for it. And he probably gave Lisa his address over the phone. That's exactly what happened. Did she even get his phone number? She must have gotten his phone number. She probably looked it up because in those times. But did she get his name? I don't know. Yeah, it was just. For all we saw in the airport was her like hand this all off to this guy. Like no introduction. No, hey, I'll be back for this later. But yeah. we didn't hear what she said to him because That's it was, it I was guess like, that leaves it open. far away. So we just we just went by seeing like we knew that she had this doll and she was trying to get yes, ma. And she picked up his medicine bottle. Yeah. So she would have seen his name on the medicine oh, bottle. Oh, maybe that was the point of that. Yeah. Because mm -hmm. I, I, I remember being struck by he's on the tarmac of the plane. So they're outside, drops the medicine bottle. Lisa picks it up and he's at the top and he's just like toss it to me. And I was just like, wow, this guy is has a lot of confidence in this woman and his ability to catch <laughs> a <laughs> plastic bottle. And sure enough, she tosses it and he just catches it and it's, it's just like winks, you know. Not, I don't know if he does, but I just thought that was like, ooh, what a suave move this guy just did. Oh, uh, yeah, he was suave. Okay, so and then uh, Weston Dude says, since when can Lisa type? So, oh, uh, I guess that was a type. Note. Yeah, it was a type. <laughs> note. Come on, think the place is bugged. And then they hear someone at the door. So you're with me on that one. 
We see Weston get out his brass knuckles. It's very dark. There's a man in a bucket hat with sunglasses on. And so they say, you want something? Uh, you, Mr. Towns, I want both of you and came here to buy you. Maybe that happened. Um, his name is Harry Rote. Rote Jr. from Scarsdale. And he tells the story of Lisa as if it were a fairy tale. Oh, man, you're a charmer, somebody says. Well, Lisa wants a doll for which she will pay dearly. I cannot negotiate in an atmosphere of mistrust, says Harry. Yeah, Harry comes in on an 11 of creepiness and weirdness. <laughs> He's, he really did. Like, he, he had the tiny little sunglasses that he wore inside. The Caesar cut with the, the <laughs> high and tight bangs going on. And plus, I know him as, like, I've had this history of Alan Arkin, so I'm seeing this young Alan Arkin, and I'm just like, this guy's up to no good. Yeah. Well, um, at some point, somebody, is Geraldine the name of the switchblade? Yes. yes. Okay. So, so I believe Harry pulls out Geraldine, the switchblade, and they're saying, he's saying that uh, each of the dudes would get $2,000 if they find Lisa's doll. Oh, man. And I thought I was doing a really good job taking these notes. Oh, they want $500 each up front, and then the rest when they actually find the doll. And I now have, we, which I did the math, but I thought that this was 1957. So, <laughs> 2019 today would be $18,521. So, probably, so who knows, from 1967. I, oh, you do, actually. I, I okay. have. For 1957, it's $15,582.57. Wow. So, would you? That's sizable. Yeah. Yeah. It okay. still feels, am I an elitist that I'm still like, my whole life could go down the drain for 15000 Or is, is this when we knew like he was going to have to kill somebody? Because I don't know. I feel oh, like fifty. dollars I don't think he knew that, yeah. I think okay. they thought they were just going to find a doll. Exactly, exactly. Like yeah. they knew it was shady, but they didn't know. If they didn't know Alan Arkin was going to kill somebody, then, you know, they, they didn't read the room. <laughs> yeah, they had to talk uh, to Geraldine. So they tell the story of Lisa and the doll. Lisa giving the doll to Hendrix. Uh, Mr. Clean is a photographer. His wife is out. She goes to school. Lisa had called. Mr. Hendrix couldn't find it. So we did know Lisa did call Sam. Yes. And he said, oh, yeah, I had the doll. I can't find it. Um, and then Harry says, familiar, familiar, familiarize yourself with the place. Cause we're coming back tomorrow. And by the way, talk your way into that safe. They had a big old, um, what kind of safe is it? Just a safe. safe. Yeah. It's just like a safe in the living room. We find out about that later. Um, so 
Talk your way in. Uh, the closet was locked. Yeah, because it was really weird. Okay, so they gave their. They know that the doll has heroin, and Lisa. We don't know who this rogue guy is, but these two guys, the Mike guy and the the Carlino guy, they had just gotten out of jail. They were two con men, and they would run this con on people where. Um, one of them was like a guy that it was some con where it, it had to do with the, the short guy was a cop and the other guy. And I think he really was a cop. Maybe he had been, a cop, he had yeah. been a cop and the other guy, and they would run this con on men like saying like a lover's quarrel kind of thing. And they got busted and they went away, had to do time and they just got out of jail and they get this and, and oh yeah. Cause Lisa was the girlfriend and the, and so they would run, they had this, con going between the three of them lisa was the third partner and when lisa didn't go to jail when the other two went to jail okay when mike and carlino went to jail so when they get this note from lisa after they get out they think oh we're gonna meet up with lisa she's she's already got something going for us you know we'll get get on our get on our feet you know Mm -hmm. set ourselves up with something nice so that's why they go to the apartment this guy wrote comes in tells this little story about Lisa like I I need this doll this doll somewhere in the apartment so then they kind of start going through the apartment which is funny because because it's like why didn't wrote already like wrote's already here he's already been here but I guess maybe you don't know that I don't know you don't know that yet so that's why they get to the he gets Mike gets to this door because like all right I'm gonna make big this quick let me just find this doll real fast get my money not hurt anybody and he gets to this door and it's locked and he can't and he checks the top for a key and there isn't a key right okay at this point it would be a good idea we're going to stop in about a couple minutes no we're not no we're not a spoiler is coming 19 minutes into this film so you might want to turn it off right now we'll be here but they decide to have um Harry pulls his Geraldine switchblade, and then one of them has a chair and one of them has a tripod. So oh. it's a fight between it, the switchblade yeah, because and the Rote, tripod. Rote had told both both of them had weapons, and Rote was like, "No, drop you guys, drop your weapons. Like, put your weapons down." And he was like, "I don't get. I don't. I'm not gonna put my knife down." And then he like pulls it on him, so they have to like grab whatever is closest. Right. right? Yeah. So, uh, so Richard Crenna goes, Mike says, give me the key to the closet. Cause he's sure that the doll is in the closet. Well, the doll isn't in the closet, but don't, don't, Lisa, Lisa is hanging in a garment bag off the door of the closet. Which is really creepy. That really creeped me out. Uh-huh. Well, they're starting to leave, and then Harry goes, you know, your fingerprints all are all over this place. And um, actually, what you need to do is roll Lisa up in this rug, and uh, we need to get her out of here. So uh, Mike goes, yeah, well, you know, you know where it was $2,000 each? Now it's $4,000 each because we are disposing of a body. And then they hear the tap, tap, tap of a cane what is that uh, what is the proper name of a blind cane 
That's a hard. I don't know. I don't either. But it, it is. It's just important. So to reiterate, that that's how um Roke hooks them in because they have their fingerprints. They were just released. They got the kids on the stoop that saw them asking for this place. So if they don't get rid of the body, it's pretty much they're getting set up for murder. Right. right. I so, think I just called a cane. Okay. Thank you. You can buy one online with that name. Okay. Um, well, at this point, we're seeing Harry is is uh, a pretty smart dude. He's he's got all his angles covered. Or so he so they, thinks. Everybody hide. So I'm about to belch. I'm trying. Not oh, he know like Harry knows um, what Mike and the other guy are about to find out. That's why he's like, just hide. Like, they're kind of like, what are we going to do? And he's like, just hide and don't say anything. And don't move. Right. So, Su- is it Susie? Mm-hmm. Susie. Susie comes in um, and she calls for Sam. She goes, oh, you're not here. But at this point, we realize Susie is blind. That's the question. Yes. yes. Did she pretend to answer as Sam? Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. Because that was weird to... I guess that's. It's weird to me that they only did that once. Like she did that once and never, they never referenced it again. Yeah. But it sort of sets you up with the it's oh you see Audrey Hepburn and you know she's not blind, but then she's blind. So I think it was done for the movie for the audience that she does it and you're you're just like ah oh, man. Look, it's just nice to see Audrey Hepburn being so charming. She's just, look at her. Look at how she's giving it a go being this blind woman. And I, if I was blind, I mean, I do that now. Who are we kidding? Well, yeah, I just thought it was weird that they only did it once in the movie and like never did it again. Yeah. Um, Okay, so she um, goes to the telephone and then she knows something's wrong. You can tell she she can tell something's wrong and she calls out for Gloria. Yeah. And then she makes a telephone call to her husband and she tells her husband she was the best in blind school today. And she um, wants her husband's attention. That is obvious throughout the whole movie. And so she says, can I come and wait for you at the cafe by your by your studio? You know, because I'm anxious to see you. Um, then she starts to go out. She pauses at the door. She says, Gloria, I know you're there. And she leaves. So then all of the um, criminals get back to work, the work of disposing of Lisa. Outside, uh, a neighbor helps her with her garbage. Everybody likes her. She's just so likable. Goes in and knocks on the door because apartment can be a dark room. The apartment's a dark because he's a Sam's a photographer, so he has. I mean, it's a perfect setup for Sam. No wonder he spotted her and wanted to date her. A blind woman? She's not gonna mess up my my photography in the dark room. She's actually I could man. She gets really good at being blind. She'll be able to easily take out the film and load it and I won't even have to get the weird bag and struggle with it because she's just going to be so adept at it. That was his thinking. Yeah. 
Well, um, he tells her this is another night that he has to go out for work. And she doesn't want him to go. And I don't blame her. She doesn't want to be home alone. And then she says there was a murder last night. Um, a lady from Scarsdale. And her husband doesn't believe her. He thinks she's making that up so that he won't go on his work shoot tonight. In well, New York. I thought, but he was, no, I thought he was like, um, there's a lot of, like, he was like, people get murdered all the time in New York City. Mm. Well, he, it kind of is setting it up, but get, around this point, we're kind of seeing that, that Sam is... He's not, he wants her to, to be self-sufficient in her blindness. So you can kind of tell that she wasn't born blind. This is a relatively new thing for her. And he really wants her to have a sense of independence and be able to take care of herself. I just felt like he could be a little bit more compassionate about it. Yeah. Yeah. Then he tells Susie, if the doll lady calls, tell her I still can't find it. Okay, there we go. Mm-hmm. At which at which point Susie says, I don't want Gloria anymore. Gloria is a young girl who lives in the apartment building, and she comes in to help out. And But we Susie don't know says, that yet. We just okay, know that it's yeah. Gloria. Am I the only one who thought she was going to be a creepy old lady? I Yeah, I thought, yeah. I thought she was like a maid or something. Well, then Sam says, oh, BTW, the icebox needs defrosting. I believe we talked about that on a previous episode, defrosting Mm -hmm. that old refrigerator. And she goes, do I have to be the world's champion blind lady? And he (laughs) says, yes. And he leaves. Matter of fact, you do. (laughs) And he said, no, because I guess there was a different way to do it. And he was like, by the way, do it my way. And he, she's like, I don't. And that's what she's like. Do I have to be the world's best? I don't want to do it your way. And he's, he's, you know, basically being like, no, do it my way. And yes, be the world's be- greatest blind lady. There is a van parked across the street. A VW van. Remember about the kid. She smells something, and she smells that something's on fire, which has to be a really horrible thing for a blind person. Terrifying. So she goes and calls 911, at which point... Well, wait, they not- don't have 911 in 67. Oh, she calls... Yeah, she calls the operator. Yeah. Okay. And the operator, uh, I think, routes her to the police or to the fire department. At which point there's a knock on her door. It is Mike. He rushes in and he saves the day. Did they start that fire before they left so that he could come in and save the day? I don't know because... Oh, maybe. Yeah, I was wondering that too. But then I was also, and I forgot to write this down, you know, look... I don't want to say that you shouldn't do something just because you can't see, but maybe smoking isn't a habit you pick up if you're blind. Mm-hmm. Well, she was newly blind. She might have been a smoker before. Oh, was she? Did she light a cigarette? I didn't know. It's the She's... 60s. I oh, okay. just figured okay. everybody okay. smoked. Well, at this point, Mike starts his spiel about 
how he and Sam were in, you know, the war together and Sam saved his life. And so she tells Mike that she lost her sight in an accident. Due to fire. Due to fire, which makes fire even more frightening. At this point, Gloria pops in. She is a young eight, ten-year-old girl. Now, when when y'all saw Gloria, did you automatically just want to smack her and you didn't even know why yet? Yeah, she seems kind of annoying. Yeah. 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 And then she just backs out because here is Susie in the apartment with a man who's not Sam. Well, and they, they set it up, too, because when um, Susie said that she didn't want Gloria to help her anymore, Sam Sam was like, oh, you need help. Like, who, you know, she goes to the grocery store for you. And Susie's like, yeah, but... Gloria's in love with you, which makes me yeah. the bad guy. So right. so then when when Gloria comes in and sees another man with Susie, she, you know, there's kind of that, oh, oh no. Like Gloria's gonna use this. You know, you could tell what Gloria thinks oh, is yeah. going oh, on. Oh yeah. But then we also Sam also says, you know, she gets picked on at school a lot. She just got glasses and the kids are making fun of her. Which they would in those glasses. And her dad split on the family and her mom just apparently just goes out at night. Well, we know what that's about. So, Gloria backs out and says, please tell Sam I came. Well, uh, Susie finds the, the telephone and realizes that the operator is still on the line. Yeah, that wouldn't happen. Right. Um. Gloria comes back, and we've got to do it Sam's way. So um, Susie is about to defrost the refrigerator. Um, she says to Gloria, please close the door. And Gloria says, do it yourself. Yeah, Gloria is a huge bitch. Yeah. At which point she starts throwing... Really? A lot of things in the kitchen. Yes. Just having a temper tantrum. A full-on temper tantrum. It has been 40 minutes. Have well, we not hooked you? So much more. Okay. We are to POC. All right. There was one. There was a young black male adolescent. He was one of the kids hanging out with his friends when the two guys, Mike and the cop guy, came up asking um, if it was the right street they were on. Mm-hmm. Yes. And a nerd alerts. Nerd alerts. Okay. So, 19 this came out October 1967. So in 1967, The Doors debut album came out called The Doors and that includes Light My Fire on it. Um segregationist Lester Maddox was sworn in as governor of Georgia. Yay! Oh. How far Georgia has come. Thank you, Stacey Abrams. Woo-wee. Man, I know. Segregationalist. 1967. The Packers beat the Chiefs in Super Bowl One. Oh. Um, we already mentioned this in a previous episode, but I thought it tied in nicely. Less, well, Wilhelm Harster goes on trial for killing 82,856 Jews, among them Anne Frank, 
because he was the head German secure head German security police person when the Nazis occupied the Netherlands, which is where Anne Frank lived. And remember, he previously was sent was sentenced to 12 years when he was convicted in 1949, but then he was released in 1953. So then he spent 10 years as a civil servant. And then he got sentenced again after this trial. But he, you know, he pretty much got to live a, a nice life for a man who killed 83,000 human beings. No biggie. Yeah. No biggie. Wah, wah. Here's something that is timely. The 25th Amendment of the Constitution was ratified in 1967. All right. You may be hearing a lot about that lately. What it says is it clarifies that the vice president takes over the responsibilities of the president if the president dies, resigns, or is removed from office. It also allows a temporary transfer of power either by the president. So if the president's going under surgery or something, having a colonoscopy, they'll oftentimes do it. Or if the vice president and the majority of the president's cabinet is like, yo, my man's out his mind. He's got to go. So that's the 25th Amendment. Very interesting. Um. 1967 was also the summer of love, but it was also the long, hot summer of 67, as there were 159 race riots in the United States in major metropolitan cities. Among them, in Newark, there was a big uprising um, because Newark cops chased and beat and arrested a cab driver who merely passed them when they were double parked. Oh my God. Yeah. And so that's a race riot because like you've talked about before, they call them race riots, although they were. Yeah. I was trying to look for another word, but in Wikipedia it just says race riot, but I'm like, it's mostly a, Hey, we're fucking human beings. Treat us like such. But, um, you know. Loving versus Virginia, 1967. It said all U.S. laws prohibiting interracial marriage is unconstitutional. So it makes my life not a crime. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Teeny makes makes you two not criminals. So thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Okay, this was something that I I wrote down because I go through the list and when I see something that tickles my fancy, I write it down. And usually it's because I I go through a little thing and then I see something and then I have to go back and write it down. And sometimes, I don't know if people know, but I sort of dyslexia where sometimes I read things that aren't really there. And this is one of those things where it bit me in my ass. So here we go, people. The American Nazi Party founder was shot and killed in Arlington, Virginia. And this man, I won't dignify by saying what his name was, but he was shot and killed in Arlington, Virginia, 1967. He had served, I looked at his age because I'm like, didn't he serve in World War II? Like, how do you find the American Nazi Party? Sure enough, he was in the United States Navy in World War II. He also wow. was in the Korean War. 
Um, he founded the party, the American Nazi party. He denied the Holocaust had happened. Guess he couldn't see it from his boat in the Atlantic. Um, he said, quote, he had incontrovertible documentary proof that that's not true, referring to the Holocaust. He, Which is why my father took pictures when he liberated a camp, because he knew that would happen. Yeah, he, um, you know, was against blacks, was against Jews, was against communism. Which, so you're like, all right, who took this dude out? You know, was it, was it a black? Was it a Jew? Turns out he was killed by a guy, white dude who had been kicked out of his party, the American Nazi party, because the guy that killed him, he got kicked out of the American Nazi party because he kept trying to put in um, Marxist ideas into the publications, (laughs) which I thought was hilarious. And so then, you know, um, so... The the fun the you know the funeral for the guy his parents because the art the army or the navy ended up kicking him out not because he was you know the founder of the American Nazi Party but because his his views were so abhorrent that he was he wasn't deployable like they couldn't send him anywhere so wow. he ended up getting discharged I think like a year before um, his retirement would kick in his parents. Oh, and then he had like a bunch of wives. One, he married one wife in Iceland when he was stationed there. And this, the Icelandic like father-in-law found out that he was super racist and was and like basically went and kidnapped his daughter back. I was like, no, no, no. Um, so he, when he died, his parents, I think his parents were from Maine or New Hampshire. They just wanted a quiet, they just wanted to quietly bury their son. Cause they, they weren't all like yippee. I'm so proud of my son. Um, but the American Nazi party had other ideas and the parents were like, we can't exactly go up and fight against these American Nazis. So because he had served in the military, the American Nazi party wanted him to have, they're like, no, he's getting a full military funeral. And all the cemetery are like, unbelievable. (laughs) So Culpeper Cemetery was like, all right. He can have his full military ceremony, but since this is, you know, a military place, none of your Nazi bullshit. You can't have any of your Nazi. With the, these people died fighting Nazis. You can't have any of your Nazi bullshit in here. And you know, the American Nazi Party, known for following the rules and being respectful, fifty people, fifty people showed up with their swastikas in gear. Oh. The Culpepper Cemetery was like, no, like we didn't want to do this shit in the first place. Y'all come in here. So they closed the gates and that ended up, there was a whole traffic, like the gates were closed. So it caused a whole traffic jam because, you know, a lot of people were coming out for the founder because they said that he was assassinated. But notice I didn't say that man was killed by his own man. So... Then this is the reason that I went that I wrote this all down because I read that in the closing of the gate, the hearse was stopped on train tracks and that a train 
smashed into it. And I was like, are you kidding me? So I wrote all this down. And then when I get to this part, it says nearly hit by a train. And I was so disgusted. Because I thought, like, so disappointed. I, I was so disappointed. I thought for sure that this guy had met, like, I thought this was, I was laughing hilariously. I was like, this is what you get, awesome. And then I, I just didn't read nearly. And so anyways, he was nearly cremated. And then the hullabaloo, um, he was just quietly cremated. But can you imagine the train conductor who's like, oh my God, I'm about to hit a military veteran. I'm about to hit a military uh, veteran. And he's just standing on the brake. And then he finds out and it's either one or two things. One, he's like, God damn it, I should have. Or he's like, I did my duty. Good job, sir. So, yeah. Let us not remember <laughs> both things one of those could be true. Who knows? Yeah. This yeah, is America. Exactly right. So that was interesting. And 1967 was one of the greatest movie years ever. So many movies came out. Here's just the top five that came out of this year. But so many fantastic other movies are on it. Check it out. It it literally is like, what? What? So, number five, this is the box office. Valley of the Dolls, four Dirty Dozen, three Bonnie and Clyde, two Guess Who's Coming to Dinner, and the top grossing film of 1967 was The Graduate. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was a bunch. All right, I'm almost done. Got one more thing. So, Braille, because she's blind, Uh Braille's in this. Braille is a tactile writing system that is used by the visually impaired. It was developed by Louis Braille, who is French. Um, He invented it in 1824. He was 15 years old, and it is pretty much unchanged to this day. Wow. And so... I, you know, you'll see Braille on buildings and floors and elevators and stuff. And watching this movie, it made me think of a fantastic film that is on Netflix called Crip Camp. And it is about people with various, uh, various abilities, like I don't want to say disabilities, but people with handy capable people of you know all that kind of thing and their quest because in when the civil rights acts passed in 19 i believe 64 65 you know like many things it left a few things out and people like that and so that movie is very good in sort of showing how um those people went about peaceful protesting and being about that life and they took over a building peacefully in California I believe and it wasn't until 1990 that the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed and became a law and part of that is that it requires um, various buildings to have signage in braille but in so in 1967 you're blind Good luck. Like, yeah. I so, mean, even now, though, like, you, how do you know where the sign is, first of all? Mm-hmm. Also, just especially in New York City, is one of the least accessible places anywhere. Yeah. Like, there are 
No, like most of the subway section stations are not accessible. Mm-hmm. Most of the like crosswalks don't even have the noise, like the um, beep, chirping. Beep, beep. Yep. Yeah. Right. right. For like blind people. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. And then I'm thinking they are using their fingers to read in the time of COVID. I mean, that's, they got to have a lot of hand sanitizer. A lot. But they've also, there's a lot of technology because I was also briefly reading about Braille and the Braille literacy is going down because with computers now, there's so much that they're able to, um, read like uh like voice and to read things voice activated i've noticed a a lot of people will write on instagram like when they post a picture they'll write a caption of that not just their caption they'll write like a description of the picture so it'll be like your caption and then it'll be like above is a picture of two dogs whatever and i imagine it's so that these computer systems can read it out loud so they know mm-hmm. oh yeah so it's the technology but like that movie crip camp it's really fantastic and it's fascinating because like everything it it sort of ties into how um uh pro- like peaceful protesting and how to go about getting change and how people get elected and and people using their voices you know, peacefully and how, you know, democracy works when you're peaceful about it. And yeah, they took over a building, but they didn't take it over with guns and stuff. And when they took it over, you know, they had like they had what they wanted. So they when people said, what do you want? They had like it just the grassroots organization how Stacey Abrams did what she did, it's uh-huh. there. But, you know, it's 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 people like that. And, and you don't really see um, them getting their roses of like, yeah, people with disabilities have been fighting and continue to fight and have been fighting mm-hmm. of saying like, hey, we're people too. Like just because we can't see, just because we can't hear, just because we're in wheelchairs, like all of that stuff that when you're, you just take for granted, but you know, people have to be made to make it be accessible for as many people as possible. So I recommend that movie highly. And I was thinking about that watching this of like, man, 67. Jeez. Yeah. Okay. Well, does um, anybody else have nerd alerts? I have a nerd alert. Well, I started looking into Braille slates because she was taking her notes on like when she was writing the phone number down, she was uh-huh. using a, a braille slate to write uh, write it down, so she could read it later. And I just never thought about. You always like hear about people learning to read braille, but you don't. They you don't really hear about people learning to write braille. But like blind students have to learn how to write in braille so they can take notes at school or they used to have to, I guess. I'm sure right, it's right. a little bit different now, but um, it, the thing I was reading, it looks like a very outdated website, so I don't know how old it is, but it was talking about um, how just as regular sighted students can, not regular sighted students, can write with a pen or pencil um as long as they have good instruction and they practice daily, blind students uh, should be able to write 
just as well in Braille. Um, if they're not keeping up and they say that the slate is too slow, it's probably due to inadequate instruction. This is, they were kind of tough on these kids. Um, <laughs> but it also said that the manual suggests that blind students should be able to write a minimum of 15 to 20 words per minute by the time they enter high school in Braille. Wow. Wow. Because they're doing a, like a punch card, it looked like. Yeah. Well, and like there is a whole thing about a woman who worked somewhere talk about equal opportunity. Um, she worked with like a state agency and she had to take notes for hearings for a judge. And uh, she got in trouble. They wouldn't let her, or they wouldn't let her use a braille writer because it was too loud and intrusive for hearing judges. So she, because oh. a braille writer is like a, like a typewriter. Yeah. Yeah. So she used a slate and a stylus to take the notes and type them up later to turn in. Wow. And like she would do this for like three hour hearings. Jeez. It's yeah. It's Sorry so it's so loud. Uh, but, but my other nerd alert. Oh, wait. Go on. No, go ahead. I didn't have anything. Okay. Well, my other nerd alert is about fingerprints. Mm. Because there's the whole scene where they like, when they realize that, um, they're like, oh, there's a dead body in here, and you guys have your fingerprints all over the place. So they start cleaning up, and then uh, when they're like dusting for, I don't, I don't know. I just didn't know fingerprint technology was uh, around then. Oh, um, yeah. So I looked into it. It's been around for a long time. <laughs> uh, in 1892, Juan uh, Vujicic. Okay. Juan, Juan V. Um, <laughs> he was a police chief in uh, Argentina, and he created the first method of recording fingerprints of individuals on file. Um, and then later, maybe it was that same year, sometime around then, a guy named Francis Galton calculated that the odds of two individuals having the same fingerprints was about one in 64 billion so I think both of those combined, they were able to figure out that they could use fingerprints for um, like apprehending people. And so the first time it was used, that fingerprints were used to apprehend a suspect is it also in 1892. We went fast with this technology. Wow. Um, Francisca Rojas was found with neck injuries in her house and her two sons were found with their necks cut open. They were dead. Um, Inspector Alvarez, whoever he was, um, he found a bloody thumbprint on the door. So Francisca, the lady, the mom with her, um, with the neck injuries, she kept saying like the neighbor did it, the neighbor did it, but the neighbor was like, I, I didn't do that. Um, and they were able to compare the fingerprints and figure out that, it was Francesca's finger, bloody fingerprint that matched, and then she confessed to se- to killing her sons. She wow. killed her sons, and then like tried to strangle herself. She did something. Yeah, I mean, I didn't read that much into it, but she tried to give herself neck injuries so they would think enough they that it would look like. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and that was in 1892. The wow. first time fingerprinting was used to find someone. Uh- I remember watching a banana. You remember that in 1892? I do. I do. Oh, my God. 
I remember watching a Bonanza back in the 60s, and they talked about fingerprints then in that Bonanza episode in the 60s. And I thought, oh, come on, they didn't have fingerprints back then. Yeah, I didn't think so. And it's interesting that they figured that out and it stuck for this long. Because, you know, like we thought you could identify somebody by their hair, and now that's not really seemingly that accurate. But could they? Because who, like now, you know, you can scan the fingerprints and it does the point. But when you're looking at it, like you have to be looking at it. And I'm guessing that there are probably some people who are better at identifying the little differences than other people. Because some differences are, oh, it's it. Well, this is a detective. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, I guess, I guess, I guess he. Yeah, I, that's. I don't know. I just see a fingerprint, and, and unless it's the the huge difference, you know, where you know some people like a squiggly, and some people have like a triangle shape, then I would be like, yeah. But if you if you have the the squ- same squiggly and the same squiggly, I'm like, you did it. <laughs> Lock them up. That's the fingerprint. It's really hard I, to see them on yourself. I feel like when you get older, they get harder to see. No, don't worry. I can't see mine either. I can okay. see mine. Mine mine just like pop out. This one has like a triangle one. This one is like circle, elliptical. Okay, we are too reheatable. <laughs> um, good, bad first, bad first. Bad, bad, bad. first. Uh, let's see. What did I say? Uh... Sending Gloria to the bus station in the middle of the night. Not just the bus station, Teeny. The Port Authority. Yeah, in the 60s, like she would have definitely stayed there all night if you have to. Oh, and they had already, we had already established there were bodies being found all the time. Left and right in New York. Um, I hated her haircut. It looked like the I want to speak to the manager haircut. Yes. <laughs> like the be- well, you know, because she wouldn't see it. But it's, yeah. It, it was the back that was really bad. But it how did really she bad. style it? How did she get her part that straight? She's blind. Well, they figure it out. They, blind people can do their own hair. I, I guess so. But yeah, I wondered about it because I wondered so much about it. Like her hair, like how is she doing her hair? And then at one point I wondered if it was a wig because of the back. Like that, it seemed like a lot of teasing going on back there. And just, and just, uh, I didn't understand the back at all. But I, I I thought she it really worked well with her. I mean, I understand the, it being like... I mean, yeah, it fit her character, but I hated it. Yeah. Uh, those were my negatives. I, I also had asking a child to stay all night at a bus station. I still feel like he, Sam didn't believe her about the, about the uh, murder. And I felt like he was harsh with her, a newly blind woman. Yeah, I know he wanted her to become independent. Um, I just felt like he didn't care about her at all. Yeah. Like. And then when um, dude stuck the knife, Geraldine, into the doll to to open it up, he just stuck it in there and ripped. There were baggies of heroin in there. That's a good point. You're damaging the merchandise. Yeah. 
And at the very end, after everything she went through, he stands there and goes, I'm over here. And he makes her find him after everything oh, she's yeah. been through. I'll get into that. Yep. True, true, true. All right. My okay, my battery heatables. Uh airport security. She mm-hmm. there's no going through x-ray at all. All the guy she just puts her bag on and he just rummages through it, sends her on her way. Um two, you and and now you listen to it and you're like, who needs to be told this when you're at the airport? Because they always tell you, never take anything from anybody right, at right. an airport. And you see this movie, and it's like, oh, it's because of this. It's because of Zimbalist Jr. over here. That's just taking anything. Jr. Just unbelievable. Um, mm-hmm. uh, we haven't mentioned this guy, the neighbor who was going skiing in a convertible? Oh, yeah. that. Uh, what? I did not. Well, it probably well, I buy that because there are days when it could be really warm here and you just drive upstate and it's snowing. Yeah, but he the whole gonna re- put the top up. But he can't because of his skis. Mm. So he, he's just gonna be so cold, but he probably was in the war in the Battle of the Bulge, and he's like, It's not as cold as that. That I'll make do. <laughs> How cold was it? Yeah. I have How Did She Do Her Hair? I have Sending Gloria to the Port Authority All Night Alone. Um, why didn't anybody ask Gloria if they had seen the doll? Or did they? And I missed it? No. Because remember, Gloria took the doll? Yeah. And that was why you couldn't find it. And, and then, then, and then she well, like... Well, I guess they didn't know. But Gloria is the eyes. Like Gloria was supposed to is like the the one that's helping. So why yeah. wouldn't you be like, hey Gloria, have you seen this doll? But but Susie did tell Ephraim Zimbalis Jr. early on. Susie is stealing things. Ah Susie yes, is taking things uh, out of here. And she probably would have lied. Oh yeah, she yeah. would. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then when she she's going through the the house and breaking all the bulbs. Um, but there's just apparently no glass on the floor. Yeah. Uh, the fact that she was just like, okay, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna walk all over broken glass. And didn't Alan Arkin like, why didn't she just take the bulb out and like put it in her pocket? Because the guy that sees the seeing people could take the bulb and put it back in. Like I got the, the breaking it. I I didn't didn't understand how she knew where all the bulbs were. Especially in the hallway of her place that she oh. knew to be swinging up high. How did she know that the light wasn't from the side wall? How did because she know? Because she was new- she was newly blind. No, but she had she had she was newly blind, but she was blind before she met Sam. That's from Zimbabwe. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She might have been able to feel the heat. Those light bulbs gave off a lot of heat okay. back in the day. Okay, that's true. But didn't Alan Arkin take his shoes off at the very end when he came back in? Once he I felt like I saw his shoes flying. Yeah, because he had she had already mentioned she mentioned to Mike about the, the guy. She was like, shoes. Yeah, there's the guy. Both of them had the same shoes. So you know he was stepping on broken glass. Everybody, just broken glass everywhere. To the good reheatables. Okay. Mine were... Oh. 
Was that my MVP? Hmm. <laughs> well, uh, it's going to be because I don't think I picked one. My, the apartment. Mm. I love yeah. the apartment. I the archways, the, the built-ins, the open space. The bathroom kind of sucks, but so does mine. Um, and I love 10 ceilings. Yes. Like 10 tile ceilings. Yes. Tile, they have uh, tile ceilings? Yeah, it was like 10, yeah, like yeah. 10, like 10 tiles. There's a, there's like, we had them a lot in Richmond. Oh, yeah. Uh, and like I got the, York, I got like, the shitty popcorn ceiling. Yeah. I mean, we don't have them here, but a lot of the older buildings will have them. Mm. Um, a lot of like restaurants will keep them, I guess. Uh, didn't seem like they had a backyard, which sucks because they said there was no back door. That's right. And they were in the garden apartment. And, like, really, that's the only benefit. Right. Um, oh. Oh. Oh, are you looking at 10 ceilings? Yeah. Yeah, they're, yeah, nice. they're, they're like. Good yeah. They have designs pressed into them. Oh, it seems very, like, royalty. Like, palace. Mm-hmm. Um, the scene where. Oh, when they have the weapon standoff. Oh, yeah. oh, okay. That's why I wrote that. I didn't know his name, so I just was calling him Sunglasses. Scene where Sunglasses draws the knife and they have a weapon standoff using chairs and a tripod. That was mm-hmm. good. The camera was my favorite, though. He was swinging that camera around like he was <laughs> I dated. Think that's when I said, this is a good movie. Um, <laughs> Susie is in the war. Yeah, Susie's skirt. Would Susie's like put, getting her scarf on like she's changing in her closet yeah. and she puts the scarf on and she doesn't know that Lisa's dead body is hanging yeah. in the garment yeah. and just like brushes her hair that was good yeah um uh oh uh, oh and then Susie's vocabulary she just kept saying like well I guess it was the 60s vocabulary but she was exceptionally so being like oh that sounds jazzy how spooky <laughs> she said something else i don't know she just uh, <laughs> i liked her vocab um and i oh gloria okay i did at first hate gloria but then when she was like so when um uh, Susie was telling gloria like all right this is i need you to look out the windows bang on the pipes whatever she was in it together and gloria was like i wish something like this would happen every day <laughs> I just wrote Gloria's a murderino. Yeah. Gloria's a total murderino. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, and I wrote Lisa's fur coat, but I guess also bad. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Mm-hmm. Mm. I had her saying numbers while she's dialing different numbers. She was saying the numbers out loud. Oh, yeah. And she was dying. I, I oh. would not have been able to do that. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Um, Whistling? I have whistling? Because I can't. So <laughs> um, she, made, she made a plan. You know, like she, she thought it out. Okay, these, this is what I got here. This is what I can do. Um. And how she was communicating with Gloria, how they finally came together. Uh, Roladen. 
what a Rowaden? Those were the shutters that rolled closed. Oh yeah, they have those in Germany. Yeah, yeah. Rowaden are really cool. I like those. Yeah, they really yeah. keep all the light out. If you're one of those people who like doesn't like lighting, whew. and it keeps uh, you know, like nobody can break in. Mm-hmm. If they had them at the Capitol, we wouldn't have had that incident. Um, the black screen, when the screen goes black. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah. And, of course, the jump. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That did, even though like you both were like, oh, I jumped at the end. So I'm like, okay. But I did. I went, woo <laughs> That's when I my feet were on the seat in front of me and I pushed and his the guy in front of me his his seat went up. Okay, those were those were mine. Okay, mine are Henry Mancini. This is such an un-Henry Mancini score, but Henry Mancini, as I already mentioned. Yeah, it was good. I you know, Moon River. You get you just get that stuck in your head. But tasty nugget. Do you have a tasty nugget about the music? I don't think I do. I didn't write it down, but he had two things going on at once, and he had the second part just a little off, like maybe timing-wise mm-hmm. or something, so that it was just a little bit disjointed. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, he wasn't sure if it would work, but it did work because it made you just, like... Well, it was, it was the same with her, with Audrey Hepburn. Like, this isn't... This is very dark for Audrey Hepburn. Uh-huh. Even the Breakfast at Tiffany's was kind of dark. Like, but that's when you watch it. But like on its surface, like this kind of suspenseful movie, and that's one of the reasons she did it because it was it was something new and it was against type. And it was the same for Henry Mancini. He's usually like, oh, I'm I'm the melody man, and oh, let me try my hand at this. I haven't done it, uh-huh. so that's uh-huh. cool. Um, JFK Airport. They went into John F. Kennedy Airport, and it's very easy for us in 2021 to be like, oh, yeah, that's always been JFK. But in 1967, that was only three years after John F. Kennedy had been assassinated, and JFK Airport was actually renamed. It, it was Idlewild Airport, and oh, wow. in like December, like a month after Kennedy was assassinated, they changed the name. In 1963, in December. Wow. So, JFK. That is the name of an airport change I can go along with, unlike... National Airport. National Airport. <laughs> um, all of the 60s technology, like the typewriter, the dark room, um, you know, the landline phone, the, the uh, washing machine, mm-hmm. the refrigerator... Just all of that made me laugh. Um, I like their refrigerator. Yeah. I liked her sink. Did you see her sink? That yeah. was a farmhouse sink before there was a farmhouse sink. That's the kind <laughs> I wanted. I liked, like Teeny said, I loved the, using the tripod, the chair, the swinging camera. <laughs> it really made me look around at my apartment. And I'm like, man, I got so many weapons. That's I, right. I'm ready. Um. I loved when she turned into Kevin McAllister 
and was like not on my watch and started breaking all the lights and stuff uh-huh. like she didn't have a good catchphrase but i was like look at her be a little kevin McAllister. again how did she know where they were but and at the very end i thought for sure and i don't know why i thought she was hiding in the washing machine well, you had a little precursor to that. And she it's fit in the washing machine. But she she was oh so many good reheatables is just you know, Audrey Hepburn and how she can just wear anything and look fantastic. Yeah, good. Um another nerd alert. Okay. She uh I don't know if it's a nerd alert. She um there is no costume designer on this film. Because she just went to Paris and bought what she wanted to buy to wear in the film. And it's, wow. it's just it's just funny. It's just like this perfectly sweat. Because I wondered, I'm like, if she's blind, how does she know what goes with what? Because at one point she changes and puts on a perfectly nice, cute skirt and stuff. And They, they, they mark their clothes. Ah. Oh. Those people. There's, there's a way to mark your clothes so you know what, you know, sort of like animals. Ah, Okay. So you know what goes with what? Yeah. But I just thought that it, it was it was just so nice and I didn't realize that she was five seven. Like I always oh, I thought she was either. tiny. I knew that she was a ballerina and that she had wanted to study and be a ballerina, but she was too tall and also once the war ended, her body she was too malnourished, so her body uh-huh. couldn't withstand the to become a prima ballerina. Um, but yeah, she was too tall. She was 5'7". I didn't realize that. Mm-hmm. And I just thought that it was it was easy if you were... Like before I knew of her past of just being like, oh man, like look how skinny she is. And she's the reason that everybody wanted to become all skinny and stuff. But it like learning about the past, her past and realizing like, yeah, she... She wa- she didn't want to be like that. Like that's that's Nazis. Nazis did that, and that's she right. just turned that and made that into lemonade. And like she wouldn't be one. Like people think like, oh, she doesn't eat, and they're like, no, she loved pasta. Like she loved to eat because she knows what it's like to eat two like bulbs of plants right. and be on the verge of dying. Um, yeah. So those are my good reheatables. Okay, we are to quotables. I did a few during my setting the table. I did have when Gloria is finished with her um, temper tantrum. No, it's when they got, when they became, you know, simpatico. And and Gloria says, oh, I only throw non-breakables. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. That's funny. I liked when they, when she was going to meet... When she was calling her boyfriend, whatever his name was. Sam. And wanted, she was like, oh, can I meet you at the cafe? And she said, won't be hard to find me. I'll be the one read, reading Peter Rabbit in Braille. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, and he said they're always finding bodies in New York. Mm-hmm. Do I have to be the world's champion blind lady? Um, oh, and then when Gloria was talking to, I don't know, it was during their fight, Gloria and Susie's fight, and Gloria said, sure, I know, I want to be gorgeous, guess we can't have everything, huh? <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, uh, it's Susie said to Gloria, um, how would you like to do something difficult and terribly dangerous? Uh, that, that, that one Gloria over. I don't know who said this, but I wrote down, this is the big bad world with nasty people where big bad things happen. Yeah, I forget who said that. Maybe Mike. I think so. I think somebody said it to Susie. Yeah. Yeah, I think maybe the beginning of that was, damn it, act like you act like you're in kindergarten. Yeah, I have damn it, you uh, act like you're in kindergarten, but I didn't put who wrote it. It's just yeah, my note and, just and then it. there was more to the quote that I didn't get, but mm-hmm. I think that's what Christine ended with. I have, is that it, all you have? I have, I don't know who said this, don't make waves. I only asked a question. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a good one. Um, Some, I think, wrote, says this to the, the stouty cop guy. He says, that pocket looks a little lumpy. Because <laughs> it was when he wanted the weapons to come out, his brass knuckles. And just the way you said it, I was like, that cracked me up. Um, I have those... Uh, yeah, when she's like, they should make heroin look like something else, and I'm like, heroin looks like everything, like what? baby powder, yeah, yeah. cornstarch, baking powder, yeah, <laughs> maybe candy bars. I'm like, that seems like no, let's not. And then uh, Rote says, um, what do you say? And then topsy turvy, me topsy them turvy. When he killed the guys. Yeah. yeah. He had some great quotes. He did. It just just how he was delivering it. So those were my quotables. Okay, we are to LVP. <clears throat> All right. Mine is Ephraim Symbolist Jr., Sam, not being more compassionate. Nice. Mine is... Um... I read an article about, I don't know, just her being blind and, you know, we talk about, like, uh, should a blind person have played her or whatever, but either way, and apparently Audrey Hepburn did, like, a lot of work to try Mm -hmm. to make sure she was, you know, actually, like, playing a blind person as -hmm. well as she could, but... Representing um, them well. Yeah, one of the things in here said, disabled people are portrayed as being dependent, isolated, and infantilized. Susie is all three throughout the film, and even in the end, has to be saved by the sighted. And I thought it was so rude. Like, she just fought off all these, this guy. Yeah. And then they made her sit behind the refrigerator door like she couldn't fucking get up. And, like, I don't know. I didn't like right, her. Right, right. I was right. like, okay. You had, like, that. She, they, she still had to be saved. Yeah. Well, she didn't have, well, yeah, but but I kind of took it as a, from a different perspective of she was doing the smart thing to survive. I mean, she had, she had killed all the people, so she's blind. There's like, there's broken glass that may have or may not have been ignored, but you're just going to kind of hunker down and wait until the reinforcements arrive i kind of took it as like that was her battle of the bulge you know she's like we're yeah. not i'm not giving up but I'm, I'm just gonna wait here and i'm gonna hold my ground and reinforcements are gonna come mm-hmm. 
And I, I, th- I think her butt would have walked right out of there and gone to get help. She had shoes on. She's walking all around the damn apartment with broken glass anyway. But she, but didn't I see know, what you're saying. But she didn't but... know about the third guy. Like yeah. there's two of there's. She knew about the. She knew that there was at least three people. Two right. dead bodies are in there. She didn't know about the third one. She just assumed, like, the guy kind of says that he killed. But, again, they've just been running game on her the whole time, telling yeah, her all true. this that's stuff. True. So I yeah. didn't really. And I was reading something about, like, the roles that, that she chose to play and stuff and how they were kind. Like, not everybody can be the superhero and, like, walk right out. You know, like, when in her real life, oh, yeah, she wasn't. Absolutely. You know, they she almost starved and had to wait to be for the Nazis to be driven out of the Netherlands. Yeah. But there was the resilience of like, I didn't die. I survived. So but I I do see that. And I did also wonder about the same thing about um, it's always difficult because. It's it's really is a catch twenty two with people with disabilities because they have a, the disability for acting wise and playing the role, but movies get made based on who's in the role, and so it's the it's the thing that we talk about a lot when we're doing like recasting and all of that. Like, well, but Audrey Hepburn, like she's a right. big name, and. Yeah. Are you going to, and I, we would like it. There's the way that like the world is and the way that we want the world to be. And hopefully we can get it more to There that. should be a big name blind actress out there that we all know about, but you can't name one. Yeah. Right. At all. And, and then, I mean, Marley Matlin is like the one hearing impaired person that we think of. Yeah. And it took a long time for her to be able to have a career. So hopefully, like Shonda's Shonda Rhimes is on it, and <laughs> Shonda Land, Shonda Jesus. Land. Yep. Did you do an LVP? I didn't. So my honorable mention is Gloria for acting out. Um, you know, she had the doll. She hid the doll. She had her tantrum, but you kind of do understand because her parents just let her loose, and so you and she's like a teenager. And she did go to the Port Authority all by herself and she got Sam. That. So that's why it's honorable mention. Second honorable mention is the woman who left the safe in the apartment and tried to sell it to Sam and Susie. And when they wouldn't buy it, she took the key and put it down the drain. And that's the reason that the safe is in the apartment. Right. Wow. Yeah. That's your that's your MVP? No, that's my honorable oh. mention, LVP. Oh, okay. Because my real least valuable player of this film is Sam. Thank you. He Thank you. He took the doll in the first place from this woman. And you know that he took the doll because she was a model and a blonde woman. So I'm already like, mm. and then you find out he's a photographer, and I'm like, hmm. Oh, and then, I didn't think of that. Look, it's a beautiful apartment. I completely agree. I think it's a bit too cluttered. I don't know if... For, if, for if, a person who is sight impaired. Well, yeah. and I don't... But then I was thinking, is that me being, like, um, 
would sight would sight impaired people be like how dare you i can have a cluttered apartment but so i don't know maybe that is and that's my bad but i just i just think that it should have been a little less cluttered should have been a little decluttered given that Susie is visually impaired just to make things just a little bit easier for her at home. But maybe I'm wrong in that. Well, it definitely got cluttered with bodies. Yeah. And then at the end, she's, she's proved that she is like the world's greatest blind lady. And then he's like, come walk to me. And he's like, yeah. there's broken yeah. glass everywhere. I have been living my life. Uh, saving my life, saving us because of your dumbass mistakes, and you've been out gallivanting and who knows where for some. And you're not even a good photographer, and I'm blind, and I know that. <laughs> okay, MVP. Mm, you go first, Alan Arkin. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's a horrible person in it, but wow, what a good job he does of it. Mm-hmm. I loved him. Mine was the scare at the end. Yes. Yeah. I screamed. Because <laughs> <laughs> ah, it's just, he's a great I joke that he does. Uh, yeah. I had no idea. I didn't either. And, and to tie it in, like with the Alan Arkin, um, how funny was it when he came as the old, like the woman's blind, and yet he was so committed that he had the whole get up and character, like the mustache. And the wig and everything. I know. But but yet didn't think to change the shoes. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, my MVP is critical thinking. Oh. Because, and that is the analysis of facts to form a judgment. And when the facts change, so can your judgment. These men were all up in her life telling her all of these things. And instead of just believing it, she was just like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yes. But why was that guy's shoe squeaky? And then another guy came in and his shoe was squeaky. Hmm. And like when they all happened, like they didn't go. It was just her remembering it. Like she didn't throw it right out on broad street right off the bat it was just in her taking a mental note of everything they were like why do you guys keep going over there to the blinds and messing with the blinds and then after you mess with the blinds there's a telephone call and i never go in the telephone call it was just all of these things of like just because people tell you something and they think that they give you facts that there is such a thing as as citing your facts and you should be able to go back and find the source of that which was told to you. So that's why critical thinking is my MVP. Good one. A lot more people need to do some critical thinking. Well, we're not really taught critical thinking anymore because it's, it's in the best interest of people that we be taught to just take what somebody says and do what they say because when you have critical thinkers it sometimes it can get annoying because you're like well, just just do what i said but <laughs> but that's you know that's the rub of it everything isn't a hundred percent easy street like those people are like all right well 
At least they're questioning things and thinking critically. Okay. Uh, we did everybody's MVP, correct? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we are to recasting. Okay. I didn't do it. Surprise. <laughs> I did. Okay. I have uh, my Susie. Oh, man, I had this. Is Gugu Mbata Ra. Oh, she would be a good Susie. She? Because she has that that face that's just like gorgeous and likable immediately. Who she was Teeny, she was in the morning show. She was the producer. Oh, right. right I don't right, want right. to give it away for anybody who hasn't seen the morning show. Yeah, but. yeah, yeah, yeah. So my Sam, um, I didn't bring my usual um irritating people but this person i feel like this person would bring more um uh, caring to the role but could still play okay tay Diggs. Hmm. yeah that's a good sam that's solid <clears throat> my harry is damson idris from snowfall is that the, the main kid in Snowfall? Yeah. Oh, he's good. I feel good. like he could do that. I feel like he could be this because, you know, yeah, I felt like he could do the the badass, the understated badass. Mm-hmm, the sinister. Yeah. And then I have Mike Omari Hardwick. He was in Power on the Stars Network and like TV shows like CSI and Lie to Me and stuff. Mm-hmm. Okay. Very nice looking guy who would, yeah. I tried a Gloria, but I couldn't find a Gloria. Yeah, I didn't really, I didn't do a Gloria either because, I don't know, I have this weird thing now with child actors. I don't want to. Yeah. And I kind of felt like if she was in the stage production and the movie, she's Gloria. Yeah. Nailed it. Okay, Aaron. All right. So my thing. When I do these recastings, it's always, especially for the older movies, it's trying to figure out who now is that. Like, who who do we have now that is Audrey Hepburn? And so you're kind of like, well, what is Audrey Hepburn? And somebody who, at least in this movie, there's a, there's a vulnerability because you definitely don't, like, that's part of the scary thing is that you definitely aren't, like, this woman's completely under control. So, you know... There go Charlize Theron, there go, you know, Scarlett Johansson, all these people who have been doing these comic book movies and stuff. Um, And so it was just really tough for me. I was like, who is, like, who is our, our generation's Audrey Hepburn? And even though, like, this isn't who I would cast, but the closest I came to it that we have now, I would say would be Natalie Portman. Okay. okay, but that's not. But I that was just a kind of like of of who has that kind of energy and an yeah. Audrey Hepburn sort of energy. But that's sort of it's interesting because at least for me looking at it, that's kind of like man, that's why you that's why she is who she is. Right, she has right. that. You don't have one. Yeah. yeah. Um. But for my Susie though, because you need someone who you don't think is 
as tough as they are and that yeah. you kind of feel. And so I, I don't know. Um, but I, I thought this woman, she's given a great performance on the HBO show Industry. So I cast in Mahalia Harold as uh, I don't know who Susie. That is. She was on HBO's Industry. She was, she was the black lead. I don't think I watched Industry. Oh, I think my dad did. So I casted her. And then as my Mike, you need like a guy who he's a con man, but he's like, but you believe him as like a stand up kind of guy. So I went with John David Washington. Mm-hmm. And then as is the Carleone or whoever it was, the cop guy, I put Paul Giamani. Oh, that's a good one. And, yeah. and then as Sam, I went with, well, I'll go with the guy I put as rope. I went with a, what would be a very intense rope. I think I think that this guy would be terrifying as rope, and that would be Christian Bale. Oh wow! Yeah, <laughs> I feel like you just just go for it, Bale. Just go for it, and like oh, that would wow. be sinister. And then as my yeah. Sam, this this might be controversial. But I I like this guy, but I also just every time I see him, I think he's a dick. And so I think it would be a great Sam is the guy from Bridgerton, Regijean Page. Is that how you say his name? The, the Duke? The Duke. Oh, yeah, I think he would be a good Sam. He would be a great Sam. Yeah, he'd have Walk that to me. too. Yeah. So. Okay. That is recasting. So we are to Tasty Nuggets. Mm-hmm. I didn't have any. I have that there is a new documentary that deconstructs the myth of Audrey Hepburn. What do you mean the myth? It is by uh, her son and her granddaughter do it. Oh, Luca, Luca Dati. It um, it's just called Audrey. It's available for download, but I don't know from where. Her son and her 26-year-old granddaughter. Like um, how she was really down to earth because she always seemed so classy and so... But like um, after this movie, she didn't do any other movies for a long time Mm -hmm. because she really um, did a lot of... Was it UNICEF? Yeah. UNICEF, a lot of, yeah. she was a big humanitarian. Yes. And she would just wear, you know, jeans and a t-shirt in these, she wouldn't go out, you know, dressed up for her photo op when she, you know, she just took that to heart, mm-hmm. helping children, because she knew what it was like to be a child of war. Um and I have, which I definitely want to see. Stephen King says this is the scariest of all movies. Yes. Oh, well, I mean, I wouldn't agree with that. Um, <laughs> the it's um, come on. The apartment is now on Leroy Street, between Seventh Avenue and Hudson, and it's the Hudson Park that's across the street. Okay. Um. This is the second movie where a dead person comes back to life. Like ever? I, 
I thought it was the first one, but it was the second one. What's the first? Lay Diabolique. Oh, look at that. We've done one and two. I was like, oh my gosh. Because I said to Manzel, was this the first movie where, you know, he ain't dead. dead and they come back to life? Because there are so many after that fatal attraction and. Um, so he didn't in the night of the hunter. He didn't. He didn't pull that either. I don't think so. Huh. There was a play revival in 1998 mm-hmm. that had Marissa Tomei and Quentin Tarantino oh. in the Harry role, which I thought, oh my god, the critics tore it to shreds. Oh. And even the people that worked on it just don't even talk about it. Hmm. It was that bad. Those are mine. But my favorite one, other than her helping nurse this dude back to to life during the war, became her director of this movie. I know. I mean, that's just crazy. It's crazy. So I have that... In the braille number that she does is actually gibberish. It's shishting, yeah. they oh, said. Um, I have that Alan Arkin. So before this movie, he had already been nominated for two Academy Awards. I think he, man, I might be wrong, but I thought he won one for The Russians Are Coming. Um, so this was his second film, and he, he in an interview, they asked him if he was surprised that on his second film, he didn't get a nomination. And he said, quote, you don't get nominated for being mean to Audrey Hepburn. He said that was funny. Um, let's see. Okay. In the bro- original Broadway production, Lee Remick was the main role. And Lee Remick was in A Face in the Crowd. I think that was her first movie, if I remember. And... Audrey Hepburn was always the first and only choice for the role of the movie. But if you remember from what happened with My Fair Lady, there was always the rumor that she stole the role of My Fair Lady from Julie Andrews. Mm -hmm. And so Audrey Hepburn wanted it to be announced very early on that she was that this movie was going to be made and that she was going to be in it because she didn't want the same thing to happen of like you stole this movie from Lee Remick it was you know so she was like no it was like always me this was made for me they got me always me yeah it was always me um and this movie was done in the she was getting divorced from Mel for the producer and I I read that this was like the you know how some people have a baby to try to save their marriage they did this uh, movie to try yeah. to save their marriage. Yeah. Well, this seems like a much healthier option. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Um he was the he was actually the voice of the French Canadian radio that we hear in the beginning. That was his oh. voice. She lost 15 pounds during this film from the stress of it. It's like she doesn't have 15 pounds. She didn't to have lose. 15 pounds to lose. Yeah, but it was it was really the um like the director, she really leaned on the director to get through it. It was just a very stressful time. Her marriage was just falling apart yeah. and the guy is the producer. But okay, one of the things um 
gosh, I don't want to give us away, but there's a great podcast called Imagined Life, and they do. A, there's a fantastic episode um, because it completely fooled me, and yeah. I was just a ball of tears by the end of it because. Like we mentioned, Audrey Hepburn was from the Netherlands. She was Dutch. And Anne Frank was from the Netherlands and Dutch. And throughout her, they were the ex- almost the exact same age. Audrey Hepburn was born in May. And Anne Frank was born in June of the same year. Wow. They were, and so they were both wow. 15 at the time of, you know, World War II, 1944. Um, she, her whole, like, you know, the whole thing with, like, Anne Frank, like, you know, Audrey Hepburn almost died, and Anne Frank did die, and it was, to Audrey Hepburn, she had such a close, like, because she, it was almost like a survivor's guilt kind of thing, because she was the little girl who lived, and Anne Frank was the little girl who didn't, and at one point, she was gonna do she was supposed to be in the movie, The Diary of Anne Frank, and she just couldn't. Like, no. She was just like, I can't. This is too traumatic for me. I just can't do it. Um, so there's, I found this quote that she said um, about her time in the war. We saw young men put against the wall and shot, and they closed, meaning the Nazis. They closed the street and then reopened it, and you would pass again. Don't discount anything awful you hear or read about the Nazis it's worse than you could ever imagine. And, you know, they, like she would see she would see them rounding up the Jews and putting them on the train. And she would do she because she was really into, you know, being ballerina. And she was from it's like she was from society, like high up, well to do. And she was over in Britain at a boarding school. And when the war popped off. Her parents brought her back because they thought like, oh, well, it's going to be like World War One and the Netherlands is going to be neutral and we don't have anything to worry about. Isn't that crazy just to be like, oh, yeah, it's probably just going to be like World War One. Yeah. <laughs> you ever had to say that? Yeah, it's probably yeah. just going to be like World War One, and little did she know. And so then she just like always would make the best of it and was went to this ballerina school, like, you know, ballet school, and then she would dance silently for people and that was kind of a way for her to raise money for the resistance and she would kind of deliver food and stuff and she just saw all the the atrocity and that's why I I can't really put it into words of just like how my mind was blown from just this video game and seeing this town and being Mm -hmm. like wow that's a based on a real town and Audrey Hepburn lived through that and then like and it kind of does make sense that she would come through that you know have this crazy career where it takes her to these great heights and stuff and then just to be able to still be uh down to earth and the one of the reasons why she didn't do too many movies after that is because she married a psychologist or psychiatrist and had another son named Luca and it became a whole thing where if she wanted to make a movie, it was like, well, would I rather do this movie or be with my son? Mm. And she kind of pretty much always picked her son and to just and to help people and to, you know, do be humanitarian. And she was really into cooking. There's a cookbook, I think, that she has out yeah. 
Which yeah, we talked about that before. Yeah, it's supposed to be. Wait, she wrote one. Yeah, yeah, because she really likes we cooking. We looked it up before. Mm-hmm. Um, Alan Arkin won the Golden Globe for The Russians Are Coming. Ah. He was nominated for the Academy Award, but did not win it. Ah, yes. Okay, cool. Thanks. He was also nominated for The Heart is a Lonely Hunter. guess we're going to have to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I believe that's the end of Wait Until Dark. Excellent, excellent. Well, that's my top contender for best movie 2021 i am going to be keeping my notes this year as am i we have learned from our christine she teaches us so much i also i never knew any of that about audrey hepburn yeah it's it's pretty fascinating like when you because you have a book about her i'm sure sure there there is I'm sure they're... Oh, good one. I want to read her autobiography. It's interesting, too, to me, because she ended up dying of cancer of the appendix. And you sort of wonder, because the appendix is just something you can get taken out. And you just wonder, because she had... She suffered from anemia and edema and a a bunch of stuff due to her malnutrition. Um, And so you just kind of wonder if that, you know, having to eat bulbs and making bread out of... Probably yeah, and just the stress of that, like how much of it affected her life. But by all accounts, it just seems like she's she's kind of up there with Paul Newman. Just a yeah, she is. like um, saint. Just a presence on stage and just you just like her immediately. Yeah, and we'll have to do Sabrina sometimes. We too. will, because it's very easy. I know when I was young to just be like, oh, she's just a skinny, like starlet, whatever. But then when you read about like what she went through and survived and and how she was able to to still have the this outlook and you're just like wow. Well, next week we are going to stay in the 60s. We are going to do a 1966 film. Oh. And keeping with Christine's, you know, timeline, it is an hour and 50 minutes. Okay, okay. Two hours. Robert Vaughn is in this. Again, we will see Robert Vaughn. Robert Vaughn is is Robert Vaughn the dude that was all up in my law and orders? And I'm like, it's Robert Vaughn. Robert Vaughn was the one in the Young Philadelphians. Yeah, yeah. Paul Newman's friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh. This one also has Arthur Godfrey in it. Arthur oh. Godfrey. Um, he yeah, long time ago. But the thing about Arthur Godfrey, he had his own plane. Plane, like airplane. Plane, airplane. He flew it into the, I think. The Bluegrass Airport and pulled it right up to the front. Yeah. Is this the guy? Mm-hmm. And this is the guy who, so um, somebody said he he can't leave his plane there. Can anybody get in there and move this plane? Because he had gone somewhere. So your grandpa. A black man in Kentucky. Chico, a Tuskegee, a Tuskegee Airman. Airman got in and moved the plane to an appropriate place. And Arthur Godfrey came back and was livid that someone had moved his plane. <laughs> I'm sure when he saw who moved it, he was even more livid. Um, yeah. And Doris Day. Oh, oh. 
I thought we needed to go with just some light humor. All right, what's the name of the movie? It's been mentioned before. I thought you were guessing. You always guess. The Glass Bottom Boat. Oh, you've been teasing this. We pulled the picture up, and it's her in this ba-ba-ba-boom outfit. Somehow, yeah, she has to wear a mermaid costume part of the time. This got mermaids in it? I forget oh, what movie it was, but but I somebody mentioned it, and you were like, "I'm doing the glass bottom boat." And when I was home, you were like, "I'm doing the glass bottom boat." <laughs> How did you not know? I don't know. I'm doing the glass bottom because I kind of felt bad. Oh, that means it's my pick next week. I'm yeah, because you, yeah. I kind of feel like I stole this movie from you because you had mentioned Wait Until Dark pretty yeah. recently, and when I was, I was like, oh, "Oh," and I was listening to our Breakfast at Tiffany's podcast, and I was like, "We need a little more Audrey Hepburn." in our life and that's when i was like Ooh, wait until dark so i felt like i kind of stole this one from you that's okay it was uh, as long as we could see it and discuss it i love that movie me too me too Excellent. and i remember christine really enjoyed last uh, her pick of 2020 was pillow talk oh that's yeah. right so i'm giving her a, a gift in january the glass bottom boat. It's probably horrible. <laughs> I remember, I think Arthur Godfrey sings in it and with a ukulele. I've got a bunch of like visuals coming. I keep thinking of that the seal stuff that you see on the TV where they put the seal on the bottom of the boat. You know? The, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah the, the water sealer thing. And they put it well, on the bottom of the leave, boat. No problem. <laughs> yeah, that's what I keep picturing. Yeah. So it will be interesting. We should have some interesting reheatables. Uh, yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, listeners, we hope you enjoyed Wait Until Dark. We really hope you saw it before you listen to um, the rest of this episode. Well, there you go. <laughs> Bye.